I do not believe that any of us would be as shameless as James and John. We live in different times. In our culture, we democratize power. We do not use titles like Mr. or Mrs. much anymore. We address our doctors by their first names. Even professors invite students to use first names. In the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century, one of the issues was power and the abuse of power, which is why we in the Reformed tradition do not have bishops. But power still plays a huge role among us. Everyone has an ego, and that's where it starts. From there, it grows to include the collective egos of institutions, organizations, and systems. Power matters to God. Richard Rohr says, A primary idea of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is its very straightforward critique of the misuses of power specifically power as domination. The central narrative of the Hebrew Bible is the Exodus story, which begins as God hears the cries of the suffering Hebrew people. They have been bearing the weight of the empire's pretentious ambitions, but God calls Moses to lead them to freedom. Domination systems are antithetical to human flourishing and therefore contrary to God's good will for humanity. But that lesson is hard to learn. Power is seductive. People like being in control. Even Jesus had a frustratingly difficult time convincing his own inner circle of disciples to relinquish aspirations to power. We will focus on the story we read from Mark 10, but we have to remember that this is the second time Jesus has tried to teach the same thing. In Mark 9, Jesus questioned the disciples about the subject of their recent argument and learned it was about which one of them was the greatest. That was when he asked a child to come and stand before them and said, Whoever wants to be first among you must be last of all and a servant of all. The words servant and child have a common root, so Jesus was making a play on words, which, combined with an alive object lesson, should have made the teaching memorable. But it is one thing to remember a lesson, and quite another to internalize it. Clearly, the disciples did not yet internalize the teaching that in the community formed around following Jesus, power was not to be used for domination. In our text, we read that James and John come to Jesus with a request. They want to sit on Jesus' left and right in his glory. They want to be the second and third positions of power behind Jesus when his kingdom finally arrives in full. Not only do they completely fail to grasp the nature of the kingdom of God that Jesus has been teaching, they also fail to understand the values of the kingdom. The nature of the kingdom of God is that it is not like an earthly kingdom. The kingdom of God is not hierarchical. It does not center power at the top so that it flows downward in decreasing degrees, as hierarchies do. The values of the kingdom are different too. The kingdom of God does not center the voices of the elite, but of the marginal. Children are icons of the kingdom because greatness and domination are not their concerns. James and John are way off track at this point in the story. It is remarkable that the Gospels recorded this scene. James and John have completely misconstrued Jesus' ethical vision of a kingdom of equals in which leaders use their positions for service instead of domination. 
But the early Christian communities finally got the message and considered it of such importance that this story was transmitted even at the expense of the reputations of the community's leaders. It is such an embarrassing story that when Matthew retold it, he had James and John's mother make the request on their behalf, as if to shift responsibility away from them. But it was not only James and John whose reputations were sullied by this story. The other disciples stumble into the same ego pit. When they heard of James and John's request, they became angry with them. Why? The only reason could be that they believed James and John had jumped the gun, grasping for something they all wanted as well. Jesus had two responses, first to James and John and then to the whole group. To James and John, Jesus asked if they were going to be able to drink the cup that he had to drink or be baptized with his baptism. Both cup and baptism are metaphors for suffering. The cup of suffering Jesus can see coming is so excruciating that later in the garden on the night of his arrest, even Jesus himself will ask God to remove it from him. The baptism is a baptism of fire, a full submersion into agony. That is the path Jesus is facing, not the path that leads to a glorious throne of power. Jesus' mission included a direct confrontation with the domination system that was oppressing his people. He was on his way to Jerusalem, where he was going to perform a publicly provocative action. He was going to shut down the center of power, the very location where the records of debts were stored, the temple. In his day, Many peasants, which comprised the majority of the population, were being forced off their land and into virtual debt slavery. The aristocratic families that controlled the high priesthood were becoming wealthier and wealthier at their expense. Jesus, like Moses before him, was called by God to confront that domination system, even at the cost of his life. How absurd, then, for the people who were his frontline staff to be quibbling about power, greatness, and thrones. And yet, at that point, they had not awakened to Jesus' vision. Why not? They had absorbed the values of the dominant culture. This is what humans do. We take on the attitudes, norms, the perspectives of our culture. We don't even think to question our culture's values. We are blind to our cultural assumptions until someone, enlightened, holds up a mirror to us and we see them from another perspective. That is what Jesus did. He held up a mirror to the disciples and said, in effect, look at yourselves. You have pagan values. You have the values of people who have never heard the Genesis creation story. They do not understand that God created everyone in God's image so that every person has dignity and value equally. If you had internalized that story, you would understand that there is no justification for domination. So he said, you know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their leaders lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. Jesus is saying, in effect, yes, that is the dominant culture, but look how that works out. You yourselves have suffered under this domination. How could you possibly want to turn around and dominate others? He said flatly, but it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be the first among you must be a slave of all. 
And then he used himself as an example to follow, using the title for himself that literally means the human one. He said, for the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. A ransom here means the price you pay to release someone from debt slavery. Jesus was willing to put his life on the line on behalf of many to oppose the structures of domination. That is why we who seek to follow Jesus believe it is our duty to continue his work. We know that our culture has been blind to how systems of domination have oppressed people, but now more and more are being exposed. We can see ourselves in the mirror when we hear the voices of those who have suffered. We listen to women's stories and come to understand that the, the role sexism and patriarchy has played in our society, from the home and family to the world of business and politics. We listen to the voices of people of color and come to understand how racism has infected our society since the first white people arrived here 400 years ago. We listen to the voices of people who are in the LGBTQ plus community, and we have a whole new set of reasons to have sympathetic concern, knowing that there was never a time when we, cisgendered heterosexuals, ever chose to be what we are. That is why leadership in the church only makes sense if it is servant leadership. As Jesus' followers, we demonstrate an alternative value system, the values of the kingdom of God. Our officers take vows to serve the people with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love. Leadership is servant style. It is for the flourishing of our community of faith so that we can make a difference in the world doing what Jesus did, exposing oppressive systems of domination which cause suffering to the people made in God's image. Today, we will finish the process of installing officers for our church. They will repeat the same vows we ministers make. The only difference is the specific roles we play in the community. None of us is perfect. The standards we affirm are high standards. The call to be servant leaders is aspirational. None of us reaches them perfectly. That is why the call to these high standards must be accompanied by disciplined spiritual practices that help us along the journey. Specifically, practices that help us with our ego issues are essential. Meditation is a powerful spiritual technology that, over time, helps us a great deal with ego. The Enneagram is also a powerful tool that helps us see ourselves as we are so that we can grow towards transformation. So, we engage these and other practices so that we can be as authentic in our quest to follow Jesus as we are able to be, as we seek to emulate the one who came not to be served, but to serve.